0: So, we are continuing our series uh, through the book of Ephesians, and we are in the third week of a series called Stand, and it's a series on spiritual warfare. It's a series on the armor of God and the resources God has given us to stand in, in the battle, and that's kind of what we've been talking about, that the Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is not a life that uh, is what you sign up for, for comfort and ease, that it, it, it actually is a life where the enemy in the life of the believer wants to set you back, wants to take your joy, wants to make you ineffective, wants to steal God, try to steal God's purposes from your life. This is the Christian life. This is the battle that we're in. And so we've looked at, we've looked at an introductory message to spiritual warfare, and in the last week we talked about the belt of truth. This week we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. But before we get into that, to introduce the, the subject of the breastplate of righteousness, when I was a kid... I think maybe there's some children, some people in here that were like this when, I, when they were a kid, but probably around eight to nine years old, around that age range, I was afraid that I was going to miss the rapture. Is there anyone else that felt that way when they were growing up? You can raise your hand, there's no shame. Yeah, and I remember. I, I can't tell you specifically uh, what store, where I was at specifically, but I know it was either a department store, or the mall grocery store I can remember being with my mom and she could tell you and I would get I don't know how she lost me maybe I snuck off mom how'd you lose me but um, uh, I understand I can't judge you I can lose my kids pretty easily too but I would get misplaced or I would wander off and I can't find my mom and it is I'm in a literal panic like I feel like, oh my goodness, if I can't find my mom, I'm going to find her clothes somewhere and she's gone and I've missed the rapture. And so what what is that that is going on in my heart as an 8, 9, 10 year old? There, there's a lack of assurance of salvation. There's a lack of assurance that I belong to Christ. There's a lack of assurance that when he comes back that I'm going with him. And so from that age, I, I, I believe that, I, you know, I prayed a prayer of confession of Christ at five years old. And then I did it again at probably eight, nine years old. At 12 years old, I got baptized three or four times. It was just this, this process of trying to work out and figure out this assurance, this sense of assurance. Am I really a believer in Jesus Christ? Am I really a follower of Christ? And I've, I believe that at 17 years old was, is whenever I... I really professed Christ and understood what I was doing, and I made a confession of Christ. And even, even after that, there were struggles in my life with assurance of salvation. Do I belong to Him? Am I His? Is He going to let me go? And so I want to ask you the question Have you struggled with the assurance of your salvation? Have you ever struggled with that as a child, as a teenager, as an adult? Have you struggled with being assured that I belong to him and he belongs to me and he's never going to let me go? Have you ever thought, the, have you ever had the question in your mind, well, well because I did this, because I said this, because I thought this. A believer wouldn't think this. A believer wouldn't say that. A believer wouldn't do this or do that. And so I must not be a believer. And there's a lack of assurance of peace in your heart that you belong to Him. And so this is what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about the assurance of salvation. And here's what I know is true about the enemy, about Satan. The, 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 the name devil that he has been given. That word devil comes from a word that means slanderer or to falsely accuse. And so this is who the devil is. He's a slanderer. He's a, he's, he's, he wants to falsely accuse believers in Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 verse 10 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. That's Satan. The accuser of The brethren who accuses them day and night before our God. So here's the question What is our defense against the accuser? What is our defense against the accuser of the brethren? What is our defense against the lies of the devil concerning our salvation and our right standing before the Lord? And this is where we're going to move into the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The first. Piece of armor that we wear is the belt of truth. And, and what did we learn last week? That the belt of truth, of wearing truth as a believer, it, what this means is, is, is that all the loose ends of our life, besetting sins and, and discouragement and fear and, and any loose end, anything that the enemy can get a hold of to hinder us in our race, in our fight, in the Christian life, we must take the truth of God's word like a belt and tie up all those loose ends. where he can't grab a hold of those areas. And now we're going to look at the breastplate of righteousness when the enemy comes to attack us in our thinking to tell us that when we fail as believers, when we make mistakes as believers, that we still belong to him. That he's still committed to us. And that it's his righteousness that is our defense. And so let's look at the text. Ephesians 6. And we'll backtrack again and we'll read the whole section. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Finally... Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so let's pray before we get into the text and we unpack this. Lord, we come before you this morning and I pray that you'd help me to to communicate clearly. Lord, help your people to understand. Help us all to be encouraged and help us to be reminded today that you are our defense. That you are our righteousness. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this breastplate that the Roman soldier would have worn, it would have looked something like this. We have a picture of what the breastplate could have looked like. It might not necessarily look like this, but it would have been very similar. It could have been made of metal, and it would have went from the neck to the waist, and it would have covered front to back. And the purpose of the breastplate was to protect the vital organs, to protect the heart and the lungs. And when we're speaking about vital organs in the Christian life, we, we, we like to think about our heart Needs protection. And the heart is the seat of our emotions. It's, 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 it's what is a reflection of, of how we think and how we feel. And so when the enemy comes and attacks our mind and our heart concerning who we are in Christ. And our position in Christ. And whether we really belong to him. We need the breastplate of righteousness to protect us. And so, so this is the picture that the Apostle Paul gives us. That when we are in this battle. This fight against the accuser. Who wants? And, and 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 again, we can't lose sight of what the of what the purpose of all of this is. When we're talking about the Book of Ephesians, we're talking about a flow here of who we are in Christ. That's what we studied the first three chapters. This is who we are positionally in Christ, and because of that, this is how we walk. We're seated with Christ. We 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 walk in, in in a way that is different than what we used to be because we're born again and now we stand in that victory and now we can we can fight the enemy and we can win the battle because the battle's already been won. And the enemy wants to hinder God's purposes for your life. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life as a believer that whenever I fail and make mistakes, I lose all of my courage. Have you been there? You lose your courage. You lose lose that that sense of God God, God can't use me. He can never use me because I've I've, I've sinned, because I've made a mistake. I've failed. I've gone too far. And we need the armor of God to be reminded. We need the breastplate of righteousness to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. So that's what we're going to look at. So what we're going to look at this morning as we consider the breastplate of righteousness is we're going to look at this subject of righteousness. We must understand righteousness correct. We must understand our righteousness correct. and We must understand the righteousness of Christ correct. And what is this breastplate of righteousness that we must put on that will protect us against the lies of the enemy? So here's what we're going to look at. The first thing we need to understand is this as concerning righteousness. Is that our righteousness, our righteousness is like filthy rags. It amounts to nothing. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So when it comes to righteousness, to being right before the Lord, when it comes to standing before God, Our righteousness amounts to nothing. It's like a filthy rag. We can't come before God. We can't stand before him and say, here are all of my righteous deeds, Lord. Here's all the good that I've done. Here's all the church attendance. Here's all the prayers. Here's all the tithing. Here's all the help I've given to the poor. Here's all the good things that I've done, God. Now here, I'm going to stand on that. And based upon that, my righteousness, I'm going to want you to accept me into relationship with you, into heaven. We can't stand. Our righteousness doesn't amount to anything as concerning right standing with God. Our own good deeds cannot, listen to me, our own good deeds cannot be the grounds of our justification before God. Our own good deeds cannot be where we stand, where we place our faith and say because of these good deeds, I am just before God. I am right before God. That's what the Bible says. Romans 3.20 says this. For by works of the law, for by works, no human being will be justified. Say that with me. Say, for by works, no human will be justified. No amount of good deeds that you can do that you can present to the Lord and say, hey, God been pretty good today and the next day and I've accumulated a bunch of good deeds and you know that's that's every religious system minus Christianity every false religious system that points to you trying to be good enough to appease a a a holy angry god that's the system you try to you try to earn stock you try to earn favor with god by being good enough and it's it's a scale system when the good outweighs the bad then god loves you and and accepts you Scripture says, by works, no human will be justified in his sight. Galatians 3 says the same thing. For all who rely, what are you going to rely on? All who rely on good deeds, on works of the law, are under a curse. What's the curse? The curse is this. Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law so here's what here's what the apostle paul is saying in galatians if you want to say if you want to adopt a law mindset and say okay i'll abide by the law and good deeds to be right with god i'll abide by the law well here's the curse you're under you can never break any of the law you can never break any of them or you're guilty and so we know that no one can be perfect there's been only one perfect one and that's christ And so, by no work, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, it is evident, Paul says it again, no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous, righteousness, those that are righteous, shall live by faith shall live by faith. Our right standing before the Lord is not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it. You guys know that? Our right standing before the Lord is not because we've done anything, anything, say anything with me, anything to earn it or deserve it. Have you ever done something for your child that they could not do? I was thinking about it this morning. I was going over this example with my wife and we couldn't come up with a specific example because I just know it's happened so much in their life. But you ever, you ever had something your child asks you to do or, or you do it for them, but they, they can't do it, but they think that they did it? Has that happen? They think that they, that they did it. And you know, it, maybe it's something that you've lifted and they think they're lifting it, but they don't realize that you're actually lifting it and they feel really good about themselves. And you know what's crazy? Is that they go and brag like they did it. And you got to sit back and be like, wait a minute, you didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't do the heavy lifting. It was me that did the heavy lifting. I did the heavy lifting, son. It was not you. You have no boasting in this. I did it all. That's the picture we're talking about here. We, we have no grounds of boasting in anything because it was not us. God did all the heavy lifting. He was the one who took the punishment for our sin on the cross. He was the one that was perfect when we couldn't be perfect. It was him. It was the work of the cross. It was not us and by our works and our ability to earn God's favor. Our right standing with the Lord is based upon what he has done on our behalf. There's a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. He told this parable to illustrate what I'm talking about here. And the parable was talking about people who boast in their righteousness and how somebody can be made right before the Lord and, and this is what it says in Luke 18 Jesus said this parable told this parable to some listen to this you got to catch this he told this parable to some two people who trusted in themselves who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt Two men went up. So here's the picture. Two men go up to the temple. They go to church to pray. One a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was the most religious of the religious of Jesus' day. They were the keepers of the law. They were the keepers of the law. They knew the law inside and out. And the other a tax collector. A tax collector was the worst of the worst. Because a tax collector of the Jews was was a Jew that would extort money from his own people. and, And collect taxes for Rome. And they were considered thieves because they would extort from their own people. So According to the Jew, a tax collector was the worst of the worst of sinners. So a Pharisee, super religious, a tax collector, a great sinner. The Pharisee standing by himself, this is how he prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, And this would have been a sign of repentance in the Jewish times when they would beat their breasts. They would rip, they would rend their clothes, they would tear their clothes and beat their breast in repentance. He would lift up his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee, he's, lift, he's lifted up his eyes. He's standing by himself so all could hear him pray. The Pharisee, the, the tax collector is standing afar off. His head is bowed. He's beating his Breast, and what does he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee is coming and he's saying, this is my stance for righteousness. I know I'm righteous because I tithe. I know I'm righteous because I pray. I fast because I go to church. I know I'm righteous and, and here's where I'm standing. The tax collector, the sinner, said, I know I'm not righteous. I know I have no grounds of righteousness to stand on. And my only hope is that, God, you would be merciful to me because I'm a sinner, what does the text say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified and not the other. Who went down right before the Lord? Who went back home right before the Lord? Not the Pharisee, the super religious. The one who trusted in himself. But the one who trusted in God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what will you, what will we Trust in for our right standing before the Lord. We all trust in something. Romans 10 says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Speaking of the Jews, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ ended the pattern of the law being the path to righteousness. Christ ended that to everyone who believes. So now, how are we made righteous? By belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's the grounds of our righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. When it comes to standing before God, we must understand that we don't stand in our own righteousness and our own merit. It's not about being good before God that he accepts you. It's about your faith and your belief in what he did for you on the cross alone. Amen? Amen. So this leads us to the next point. Righteousness before the Lord comes from belief, from faith. Faith not in ourselves, but faith in Christ. And so this leads us, secondly, His perfect righteousness can be ours through faith. Our righteousness is worth nothing before the Lord for us to be justified before Him. But His perfect righteousness, Christ's perfection, His righteousness can be ours ours sinful flawed human beings we can have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus it can be ours through faith Romans 10 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and what comes next after belief Justified. Justified. With the heart one believes. What do we, it's the heart. It's the seat of our emotions. It's what we, it's what we uh, our heart represents who we really are. With the heart, internally, what we love, if we love Christ, if we believe in His work and what He did for us, we're justified. We're made right before God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. To be justified means that we are declared innocent before God. So if our righteousness, doesn't get us anything with God, how are we going to be made righteous? How are we going to be justified? It's through the work of the cross. Through justification, we become something that we're not. This is such a beautiful scripture here. 2 Corinthians 5, we've read it many, many times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Been made born again, brand new. All this is from God Who through Christ reconciled us. We were strangers and we were aliens. We were enemies of Christ. And through Christ we were reconciled to God. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here's the gospel in one verse. For our sake he made him, which is Christ, to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we're getting somewhere. Where are we going to stand? How are we going to be justified before God? How are we going to stand before God? It's going, to be in, it's going to be on the grounds of someone else's righteousness, and that is the righteousness of Christ. So what I want to do is this morning, I want to illustrate what it means to be justified. I want to give you a visual picture of what it means to be justified and for us as believers to receive the very righteousness of Christ. So, I have three volunteers that I'm going to call up. Well, actually, they were voluntold. And so I need Dominic, who is going to be Jesus, right? You're Jesus. And we need Clyde, who's going to be a non believer. And we need Mr. Jimmy, who's going to be Hitler. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got to shorten the stick there. It'd be nice just to be a non believer, right? Not only are you a non-believer, but you're the worst non-believer that ever lived. This is bad. Okay, so we've got to p- position you correctly. So let's take Hitler over here. Let's put you... I don't want to get you too far out the light so people can see you. But I'm not saying all principles are like Hitler. Because he, <laughs> he is not. But some of you students think he, he might be. But he's a wonderful principle. And so we're going to put Jesus all the way over here. Go, go right by where that cord is curled up there. Where the light is still there. So if, if I could separate Jesus who is perfectly righteous, never sinned. He's God in the flesh. If I could separate Jesus from what we consider to be the worst sinner of all time, if I could put a chasm between them, it would be an infinite chasm, would it not be? Like it would be forever. Like like Jesus is infinitely perfect and righteous. And Hitler, according to us, is the worst human being to ever live because of all the atrocities that he did. So it's a huge chasm. And here we have good old Mr. Nonbeliever doesn't know the Lord. This is, this is a church? Yeah, this is a church. Welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. So if we were to take Joe Blow, non-believer, just common everyday non-believer. He, he's, he's married, been married to his wife, Teresa, for how long?
1: 41 years.
0: 41 years. Been faithful, raised kids. Hey, man, 41 years. How did you do that, not being a, not, not being a Christian? It's easy with my wife. Easy with your wife. Okay. So, you know, doesn't know the Lord, but he's raised great kids. He's worked hard all, all of his life, provided for his family. He's a good man. He's a good man. He's not a believer, but he's a good man. How many of you love Mr. Clyde? He's a good man. <laughs> if we were to place an everyday sinner, non, non-believer, in somewhere in this spectrum, in between Hitler and Jesus, where, would, where should I place him? Should I, should I bring him over here? that terrible is not that terrible thought bring him over here he's terrible or should I should I should I bring him should I bring him over here? Should he be over here? Even I know I'm not supposed to go.: over here. Wait, right. He's resisting. <laughs> right right. But, so, right. So where do we put where do we where do we put ourselves when we're not Christians? We we put ourselves right about here. We think, well well I'm pretty good. That's false religion. I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as my neighbor who lives next door to me that cheated on his wife and cheats on his taxes and and lies on his job. I'm not that bad. And and clearly I'm not as good as Christ. So I understand that. So I'm just kind of in the middle. Is that right? Is that the picture of the gospel? Where are we all apart from Christ? Go stand by Hitler. (laughs) Shake hands with him. Give him a hug. Give him a hug. Y'all are buddies. That's where, that's where we all belong. Apart from Christ, that's where we all belong. And the chasm between Hitler and Jesus and Joe Blow, non-believer, in Jesus is the same distance. If you picture it like a Grand Canyon and, it, and, and to get to Christ, you've got to jump over the Grand Canyon to get across to Christ. Everyone jumps. Some, some may jump a little further than others, but everyone falls in the middle. Nobody gets across. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. And all of us are unrighteous and there's no amount of good works that Hitler or, or Joe Blow, a Joblo non-believer can do that can get him to have the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ. But here's what it means to be justified. Here's what happens. When Jesus went to the cross and it says that in Isaiah 53 that it, it was the will, follow me, that it was the will of the Lord to crush Christ. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. What, why was it the will of the Lord to crush the innocent son of God because he was being crushed for us who don't believe he was being crushed for us he was taking the punishment and the guilt that we deserved and so when, when Jesus took that punishment took that guilt when he did that he bridged the gap and so what that means is, is that Jesus goes all the way over there and he bridges the gap he goes stands next to Hitler he goes and stands next to him and says hey I took your punishment. I took your place. I received the guilt that you deserved. And so Hitler has a choice. Had a choice. And every non-believer has a choice. And so what are you going to do, Clyde? Are you going to receive the free gift? Are you going to receive the free gift? It's not your own righteousness. He did it for you. Christ did it for you. Okay, so go stand over there. No, no, you stay here. You go stand over there. Because you're standing by the sinner's. Now think about it. This is justification. You become, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You go where Christ is. You are clothed in his righteousness. He takes your place. He takes your place. That is what it means to be justified. So now when you stand before God as justified, it is on the grounds of what Christ did and the place that he took for you, on the cross. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you. That is a picture of justification. The foundation of our assurance, being assured of salvation, is in what Christ has done to bridge the gap, the chasm between us and a holy God. We place our faith in His work. Justification, being right before God, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, always. It's Christ plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And those that have been justified, what does scripture tell us? We're born again. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we're born again. We are made new creations. And so here's where we're going to transition here to, to continue to, to focus back on the assurance of salvation. I wanted to lay the foundation for us of the grounds of our righteousness. As believers, the grounds of our righteousness is Christ, not our own. And so we can be assured that if we are standing in his righteousness, then, then, then we should never doubt That we belong to him. Because when he saves us, when he gets a hold of us, he doesn't let us go. We are in his grip. And here's the beautiful picture. Here's what happens to the person who places their faith in the work of Christ. We are born again. We're made brand new. So here's what takes place. You begin to live differently in your life. God begins this work of taking you. Now now look, when Clyde places faith in the work of Christ... And he comes and receives the righteousness of Christ. Is Clyde perfect yet? No. Is he brand new? Is he born again? Absolutely. Is, is he brand new on the inside? Is, does he have a new heart? So the scripture tells us he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. He's brand new. So he is a new creation, but he, that new creation has habits and tendencies that need to be retrained by who he really is, by his new Man by by who he is in Christ. And this is the process. This is the good work that the Lord starts in us. It's called sanctification. It's called growing in Christ's likeness. So this transitions us to our last point. God will complete the work he began in us. God will complete the work he began in us. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's his perfect righteousness that we place our faith and our hope in and he gives it to us And that work that he begins in our life, it's a good work. And he will complete it. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen to this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Believers in Jesus, we are all works in progress. We're all works in progress. We make mistakes. Do you make mistakes? I make mistakes. I get impatient. I sin. Your pastor sins. And I stand. And when I sin, I stand on the righteousness of Christ and his commitment to me, to convict me, to help me to grow, to remind me of who I am. And, that, and who I am doesn't line up with what I did. And so I reject and I repent and I, and I turn away. This is that process of becoming like Christ. And Christ is committed to that process in our life. It's called sanctification, growing in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3:18 says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That image of Christ, we're being transformed from one degree to another, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. This work is from the Lord. And so we are called to live out. Listen to me. We are called to live out what Christ has done on the inside. So what is the grounds of our assurance of salvation? Where do we stand? We stand on Christ's righteousness. And here's where it transitions. We can also stand... If we get this proper, if we we get this right, and and for our justification, we stand on the righteousness of Christ. When that heart transformation takes place, then we begin to live differently, correct? Then then we can begin to stand in assurance because our life has been changed. Do you follow me? So so, So the breastplate of righteousness is twofold. It's the righteousness of Christ that is ours because of faith, but then it's also the fruit of a changed life. It's the fruit of a life that has been transformed. And so even though I know I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, I can see a pattern in my life. I can see a pattern of choosing righteousness and choosing God and rejecting evil. And it's a consistent pattern. It's not perfection, but it's a direction. And that brings an an assurance in my life. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's that scripture saying? That we're called to live out, to work out what Christ has worked in. He transformed us because of our faith in him. And now our life is transformed and lived differently. And so we live out what Christ has worked in. So here's what I want to do as we, can, as, as we get close to the conclusion here. Do you know that it's important for us to have, as we talked about earlier, assurances of salvation? And it's important for us to examine our lives. That's what Scripture says. It's important for us to look at our life. And So if you're struggling with the assurance of salvation, and you can say that you know that you've been justified before the Lord because you are standing in His righteousness and not your own, but you still have doubts, there are some questions you can ask yourself that will help you to show you, to demonstrate to yourself that you belong to Christ. I just want to read this scripture to show you this. 2 Corinthians 13. It says, examine yourselves. And this is really not preached very often because we don't like to tell people to do this. But this is for the believer and the non-believer alike. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That's my question. Are you in the faith? Do you belong to him? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation? Test yourselves. Or do you not know, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So what are some assurances? If we're going to test ourselves as believers here, what are some assurances of salvation that we can have that will help us to fight against the enemy about the assurance of our salvation. I have four simple things here. First one is this. It's a love for Christ. Do you love Christ? Do you love Him with all of your heart? Do you love Christ more than you love anything in this world? Do you love Him first? A love for the Word of God. It's a second test that you can have. A second assurance of your salvation. Do you love the Word of God? Do you, do you, do you want to study the Word? Do you want to be in the Word? Do you want to hear the Word taught it's an assurance if you come to me and you tell me i love christ but i don't love his word i doubt whether you love christ because in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god you love christ to love christ means you love his word because he is the word so if you don't love god's word and it's like it's like pulling teeth to get you to be in god's word examine yourself test yourself a love for christ a love for his word a love for righteousness and a hatred for sin. A love for righteousness and a hatred for sin. Do you love righteousness? Do you love what is right? What is good? What is true? And Philippians were called to think on these things. Whatever is noble. Whatever is praiseworthy. Whatever is good. Just. Pure. Think on these things. Do you love what is righteous? Do you hate sin? Love righteousness and hate sin. And lastly, another assurance of our salvation is A love for God's people. How do we know? How does the world know that we're believers? The love that we have for one another. It's hard to love brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes, isn't it? It's difficult. But one of the greatest proofs of our salvation is that we love one another. We have a deep love and care for each other. Why? Because Christ has shed his love abroad in our heart. So we can know that we belong to him. We can be at peace in our heart knowing that the work of salvation that God began in us will be completed. So, so, so take that test. Think about those tests. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Do you have a love for Christ, for his word, for righteousness and for God's people? And if you don't pass the test, if you examine your heart, today could be the greatest day of your life. Today today could be the day where you you do what Mr. Clyde did symbolically. You can stand in the righteousness of Christ and you can be made brand new by placing your faith in the work that Christ did on your behalf. Today can be that day and you can be made brand new and you can begin the process of becoming like Christ, loving Christ, loving his word, loving righteousness and hating sin and loving God's people. You can begin that process of growing in your faith. Today could be your day. I want to end with this. Do you remember the story of, of Peter? Peter was an outspoken man, the outspoken disciple of Christ. He always put his foot in his mouth, but he was bold. He was the one when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was the one that pulled out his his little sword, his little knife. And went to cut off the head of one of the soldiers, Malchus. Malchus ducked his head and Peter got his ear. He was the one that was brazen and bold and loud and stood for what he believed in powerful ways. And Jesus comes and talks to him. Before the moment of Peter's temptation, Jesus came and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And you know, I think this is probably one of the most powerful sections in all of scripture. It's underlined in my text, but it's not underlined here. It says, but I have prayed for you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you, he might destroy your life. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, as he always would, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter was a failure. He was a, de- he was a denier. And what did he do? He denied three times. He rejected the Lord, even in eye distance between the Lord. At one point in one gospel, it says it says that when he denied him the last time that Christ and Peter made eye contact and he could see the face of his Lord that he denied. And he went and he wept bitterly. and then, And then he just when Christ was crucified and, and 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 it was done he went back to fishing he said i'm 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 done i'm done i'm done with this and he went back fishing but Christ came and he found him and said peter come Come, I have, I have breakfast for you. I have coals of fire for you on the beach and, and fit bread, bread and fish. Come and eat. And he goes in this conversation, John 21. It's a beautiful conversation. He goes with Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter, do you love me? And what was the answer that Peter had? Lord, you know I don't love you. You know I don't love you with the perfect love like you're asking me. You know I don't love you. You know I'm imperfect. You know I make mistakes. You know I'm a failure. But what did did Jesus say? He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He said, go. Do what I've called you to do. And so this is what I want to end with. Peter, at the end, when Jesus was resurrected, after he ascended, Peter preached the first New Testament message in the book of Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 people got saved. And so the power in all of that is back at Luke 22. When Jesus knew, Jesus knows that Satan wants to sift us like wheat. He knows, Jesus knows that he wants to destroy our life and wants to get us to doubt that we belong to him, to abandon him, to turn our back. But we need to be reminded, hear me this morning, you need to be reminded that Jesus is praying for you. You can have me pray for you. You can come down here and have me pray for you. But if you want somebody praying for you, we need to be reminded that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ever interceding for us, his children, the saints. He's making intercession for us. He's sending his Holy Spirit to move on our hearts. And so I don't know where you are as a believer and all the mess ups that you're in the middle of. But I want you to know Christ is praying for you. He's got you. He's got you. He's not, let, he's not letting you go. You can be assured of your salvation, that you belong to him and he belongs to you. And this process of you walking and falling and, and walking and falling, the, the, the falls that you make are not utter destruction. There are times that the Lord picks you up and he dusts you off and he corrects you and he disciplines you because you are his child. Amen? And he wants to use you as he used Peter. And you may say, well, I I just don't believe all of that because I don't think a Christian can sin and, and, and get back up and sin and God can still use them. I just want you to know you're looking at somebody that God uses that makes mistakes. And anybody that's ever used by God makes mistakes. But we serve a faithful God that is committed to us. Amen. Just stand to your feet with me. The foundation of our assurance of salvation is in the work of Christ on our behalf. Listen to this. He pursues us. He saves us. He sanctifies us. And one day, He will redeem this mortal flesh in glory. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask you a question. I believe that there's people here this morning that you have never placed your faith in the work of Christ on your behalf. You've never done that. You've never confessed Christ. You've never stood in his righteousness. You've only attempted to stand in your righteousness. You've only tried to be good enough and tried to earn God's approval by being good. And You heard this morning that that does you no good, that the only thing that can give you freedom and forgiveness and peace in this life is to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus, and if that's you, and you know it's you, I, I don't have to convince you anymore. You know, I don't have to try to plead with you, twist your arm. You know, right now, that that's you. If that is you, I want, I want to see your hand. With, nobody looking around. This is between me and you and the Lord. If that's you. I, w- I want to see your hand. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Lots of hands. Lots of hands lifted up. Thank you. Anyone else? Here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want, I want us all to pray. And those of you that raise your hands, I want you to place your faith in Christ, symbolically through this prayer. We will all pray with you. And if once we're done, if, if you want prayer with one of us as pastors, we will be down here. We can pray for you. But let's all bow our heads. And if you if that's you, I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father. I place my faith in you. Not in my own good works. Not not in my ability to be righteous. But in the righteousness of Christ. I place my faith in Jesus. I choose Jesus. I reject sin. I repent of my sin. I acknowledge Christ as Lord. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.